What do you think of when you hear the word power? Maybe some of you think of this, solar power, or wind power, and then there's electric power, there's nuclear power, here's a picture of muscle power, and here's one that may take us back a few years, flower power. There's political power. There is financial power. Today we're going to look at a kind of power that is superior, vastly superior to all these different kinds of power. It's a power that brought the entire universe into existence, a power that holds the earth in its orbit. It's a power that heals diseases and conquers death and defeats evil and completely changes our lives. Because today we're going to talk about the power of God. Today we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians called This Is Us. We're looking at God's goals for the church. And as we talk about the power of God this morning, there are a number of really important questions that I want to address, and these are on your outline. First of all, what do we know about God's power? Secondly, how can we get God's power? The third thing is, well, okay, as a church, why do we need God's power? And then finally, where do you need God's power in your life? And so this morning we're going to actually start where we left last week. This is in a passage in Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul says this, Paul again is a follower of Jesus Christ in the first century, writing to other followers of Jesus. And he says this, this is a prayer. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That's what we talked about last week, that we have this incredible hope because God has promised to be our God and he is faithful, he will keep all of his promises. So Paul prays that we'll know the hope of our calling and then he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and notice this, his incomparably great power for us who what? Who believe. So right here in this verse, we see there's a connection between faith and the power of God. Faith actually gives us access to the power of God. And Paul goes on to explain this power. He says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And then he concludes by saying this, and God placed all things under his feet. He's speaking of Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So let's begin with this question. What do we know about God's power? Well, when Jesus comes to our world, we get a front row seat when it comes to observing the power of God. Think about the experience the disciples had. There's a story in the Bible about a time that they're in the boat with Jesus, a big storm comes up, and you can just imagine, you know, the, it's raining and the, the waves are crashing over the bow of the boat. It's filling up with water, and they think they're going to drown. Now, what is Jesus doing when the storm is raging? Yeah, he's sleeping in the back of the boat. Now, he must have been exhausted, but they wake him up and they say, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? We're going to drown. And I can just imagine, you know, Jesus waking up, you know, kind of rubbing the sleep from his eyes. And it says this in one translation of the Bible. He looks at the wind, he looks at the waves, and he says, peace, be still. Now, a better translation of the original language would be this. Shut up! That's what he says to the wind and to the waves. And the crazy thing is they listen. It gets completely still. And it says in the Bible, the disciples 
are just, they're dumbfounded, and they go, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, this is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ. This is the Son of God. This is the second person of the Trinity who made the wind and the waves and the world and everything in it. And this is the Jesus who heals the sick, who casts out demons, who raises the dead, who completes God's mission because he has the power to do it. So what does that show us about the power of God? Well, this is on your outline. God has unlimited power. He is omnipotent. That's the theological word for being all-powerful. God is omnipotent. And look at this verse in the book of Jeremiah. It says this, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And this is such an important statement. Nothing is too hard for you. We should be so encouraged by the truth that nothing is too hard for God. Think about the definition of power. Power is simply the ability to accomplish your purpose, right? Power is being able to do what you want to do. Now, can God do everything he wants to do? Yeah, why? Because he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. So what are some things that God wants to use his power to do? Well, here's really a very important thing that God wants to use his power to do. God wants to use his power to create spiritual life in the heart of a believer. In your heart and in my heart as we choose to follow Jesus. And that's on your outline. God's power creates spiritual life within a believer. God's power creates spiritual life within a believer. When I was a firefighter and a paramedic, I went on thousands of rescue calls, 911 calls. And generally speaking, we encountered two kinds of patients, those who were alive and those who were not. Now, imagine this. Imagine that, you know, we're going to step back in time and you're actually going to come with me on a rescue call. So we get a call, um, a 911 call, somebody's complaining of chest pain. So we arrive on the scene, we go to the front door, um, this guy's wife lets us in and says, my husband's in the bedroom, so we go back there and he is awake, he's alert, he's conscious, he's got chest pain. So we start to treat him and he says, yeah, I'll go to the hospital. So we take the stretcher and we put it next to the bed and say, hey sir, could you just kind of scoot over onto the stretcher so we can take you to the hospital and continue your treatment? And he does. Now imagine a different scenario. We get a 911 call, chest pain, arrive at the front door, the guy's wife says he's in the bedroom. We go back there, and this man is not breathing. This man has a heart that has stopped. And so I go over to the bed, and I take the stretcher, and I put it next to him, and I say, Sir, excuse me, can you get on the stretcher for me, please? And we'll take you to the hospital and get you some treatment. That's absurd, isn't it? Why? Because if you're not alive, you can't do anything to help yourself. Well, that is the point of Scripture that when we come into this world we are not spiritually alive we're physically alive but we're spiritually dead and that is the point that Paul makes in this next passage in Ephesians he says this but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead what does he mean we were spiritually dead and he says here's why because of our sins and so what does God do God gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead if you're a Christian this morning it's because God has done something for you that you could never do for yourself. He has made you spiritually alive. And that's what Jesus was getting at when he talks to this religious leader named Nicodemus and he says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You have to become spiritually alive through the power of God. And church, this is really important for us to understand 
Because the only reason that we can come to faith in Christ is because God gives us his power to do that. God opens our eyes so that we will see and believe the truth about ourselves. And there's some bad news that we need to believe about ourselves, that we're sinners, that we've broken God's laws, that because of that we're separated from God. And because God is holy, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. That punishment, and it's a just punishment, is to die to be separated from God forever. Now, another part of that is we can't do anything to change that. We can't help ourselves because we're not spiritually what? We're not spiritually alive. We're spiritually dead, according to what the Bible says. So God has to intervene. God has to rescue us. In fact, the story of redemption is really the story of the greatest 911 call of all time. Because Jesus leaves his home in heaven on a rescue mission to come and save us, to restore our relationship with a God who loves us like nobody else. And church, here's the reality. The greatest power in this world is the power of God, the power of his love. And that's what really causes Jesus to leave his home in heaven. That's his motivation, his incredible love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and Jesus lives a perfect life. And think about this. Why does Jesus allow himself to be arrested and to be beaten and to be crucified? I mean, he could have stopped that at any point. You know why he didn't? Because of love. Somebody said one time that the Roman soldiers, when they nailed Jesus to the cross, it wasn't the nails holding him there. It was his love for you and his love for me. And so after paying for our sins, Jesus dies and then he comes back to life. And listen, he offers us a new life and it is a life of power. Jesus says, you want to learn to live like I live? I can give you the power to do that. You want to learn how to love God and to love people? I can give you the power to do that. But you need to come and follow me. Surrender your life to me. Let me ask you a question. When I was um, teaching in graduate school, I was teaching some theology classes. I would ask this question to my students. So, this idea of salvation, you know, that God rescues us, is that an act or a process? It's both, isn't it? And again, this is really important for us to, to really wrap our minds around because when you just decide to follow Jesus, you step across this line of faith and say, you know what? I'm going to leave my old life behind. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You are declared righteous in the sight of God. And the theological word for that is justification. It's just as if you never sinned. Now, think about this. When God adopts you into his family, does he say, hey, you know what? I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so glad you're my daughter. But from now on, you're on your own. See ya. God doesn't do that. That'd be like abandoning a newborn baby. No, God says, now you continue to need my power in your life because I want you to change. I want you to grow. I want you to become more like Jesus. And that is the process of sanctification. And church, that is God's purpose for every believer, to become more and more like Christ. And that brings us to this next point on your outline, that God gives his power to accomplish his purpose. God gives his power to accomplish his purpose, not our purpose. Now, after Jesus accomplishes his mission, you know, after he dies and after he rises from the dead, he's getting ready to go back home to heaven. He tells the disciples that he is going to give them his power. Now, imagine the disciples, when they hear this news, having a conversation among themselves about what they're going to do with this newfound power. I mean, can you imagine if Peter says something like, hey, guys, you know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm going to open a chain of fishing stores um, all up and down the, the Sea of Galilee. It's going to be called Peter's Fishing Depot, and uh, I'm going to be really rich. Or one of the disciples says, you know what, I'm going to use this newfound power to write a book. It's going to be called My Life with Jesus, What Really Happened. 
and I know that it's going to be a runaway bestseller on the uh, Jerusalem Times top ten list, and I'm going to be so famous. And then another disciple says, oh, power. I could use some power in my life. Um, I think I'm going to use it to uh, get even with my brother-in-law. Did you see what he did to me last week? Now, Jesus calls his disciples together and tells them what this power is for. This is from the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? My witnesses. You're going to tell the story of my life. You're going to tell people that there is a God who loves them like nobody else. You'll be my witnesses where? Well, right here in your backyard, in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And church, this is such a pivotal truth. God's power is given for God's purpose. God's power is given for his agenda, not ours. Now, just to make this really practical, imagine that you um, are praying to God and you say, you know, God, I really need the power to work 16 hours a day because I just got so much I need to get done. And, and working that much is going to mean that you're going to neglect your family, that you're going to damage your health, that you're not going to be involved in church. Do you think God's going to answer that prayer? Why? Because his power is given for whose purpose? For his purpose. On the other hand, you come to God and you say, no, God, I am just, I'm having such a tough time. This person really hurt me, and I do not feel like forgiving. What I'd like to do is get even, but I'm, I'm trying to do what you say, God, but I'm weak. I need your power to help me forgive. Is God going to hear that prayer? Yes, because it's in line with his purpose, and that is so important. Now, here's what I want us to see, that God has promised to give us the power we need to live a life that pleases him. And Peter makes this so clear. He says this, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us how much? Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So what have we learned about God's power? Well, first of all, how much power does God have? All the power he needs. He is all-powerful. He uses his power to create spiritual life. God uses his power to accomplish his purpose. And that brings us to a really important question. Okay. If God is all-powerful and he wants to share his power with me, how can I connect God's power? Now, I want to give you a, a process, and all of these um, steps begin with a word that starts with the letter A. And here's the first. We have to admit our weakness. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, you have to admit your weakness. Now, this book of the Bible that we're studying, which is actually a letter, was written by who? This is quiz time. Who's the author of Ephesians? You should know this by now. Yeah, Paul. And Paul was a, a follower of Jesus in the first century, and he had all kinds of experiences when it comes to the power of God. Now, one time, there's a really interesting event that takes place in Paul's life. He doesn't give us a lot of details, but he says that, that I got a glimpse of heaven. And because of that, God gave me this thorn in the flesh so I wouldn't become conceited. How many of you have heard that phrase, thorn in the flesh? Okay? And so we don't know what this was. You know, some Bible commentators think that Paul had a problem with his eyesight, that he had migraine headaches, that he had trouble with his stomach. We don't know, but we know this. It was really serious. Because Paul said that this thorn in the flesh tormented him. And so knowing the power of God, he prayed three times that God would take it away. And what did God say? Essentially, God said no. But that's not all that God said. This is what we read from Paul's pen. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. And then Paul's response, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. And church, this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. If you want to experience the power of God, you have to first admit your own weakness. And one of the ways that we can tell how we're doing is looking at our prayer life. Because the degree to which you pray is the degree to which you are depending on God rather than on yourself. Now, I remember when I was a kid, my, uh, my parents took me to church, and there in the kids' classes, we would sing this song, Jesus Loves Me. I suspect many of you know the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. Little ones to him belong. How's it go? They are weak, but he is, Ella Suerte, he is strong. Now listen, I don't know whether you have a, a thorn in your life today. I know some of you do. And it could be a physical affliction. It could be something that you're dealing with emotionally or spiritually. Does God have the power to take it away? Yeah, he does. He does. But if he doesn't take it away, does he have the power to help you persevere through it? Yeah, he does. And we see that in the life of Paul. So if we want God's power, the first thing we have to do is admit our own weakness. And then we have to do this. We have to ask for God's power in order to accomplish his purpose. We have to ask for God's power. We have to pray. Now here is a classic story on the, uh, the power of prayer. It goes like this. There was a small Kentucky town that had two churches and one whiskey distillery. Members of both churches complained that the distillery gave the community a very bad image. On top of that, the owner was an, was an atheist. They tried to shut down the place but were unsuccessful, so they decided to hold a joint Saturday night prayer meeting and ask God to do something. Well, Saturday night came, and all through the prayer meeting, a terrible electrical storm raged. To the delight of the church members, lightning struck the distillery and burned it to the ground. The next morning, the sermons in both churches were on the power of prayer. Fire insurance adjusters promptly notified the distillery owner they would not pay for the damages. They said the fire was caused by an act of God, and coverage for acts of God were excluded in the policy. Well, upon hearing this, the distillery owner decided to sue all of the church members, claiming that they had conspired with God to destroy his building. The defendants denied that they had done anything to cause the fire, and the judge wrote this, the trial judge. He said, I find one thing about this case very perplexing. We have a situation where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief and the power of prayer. And the defendant's church members are denying the power of prayer. <laughs> Do you remember what Jesus said? You have not because you, you ask not. Church, there is power in prayer. And listen, as you go through the stuff in your life, God says, hey, come to me and ask me for the power you need. But there's something else that I want you to see here. This power that God has is power that he wants to give to other people. And so it is good to pray for the people in your life. God, would you help them? God, would you give them the power that they need? Would you bring them to a place of admitting their weakness? It's so important not just to ask God to give us his power, but to ask God to give his power to other people as well. And Paul gives us a great example of that. Look at these verses from Ephesians. He says, I pray, Ephesian believers, that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your inner being. I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to pray for each other. That God would 
not just give you his power, but give his power to other people. And I know that many of you do this. And let me say this. Um, I am so incredibly grateful for your prayers for me. I, I hear um, about people that, that are praying for me, and I want you to know this. I need your prayers. God knows I need your prayers. I need your power to lead. And the thing is that you need God's power, and I pray for you all the time, that you will experience God's mighty power, and that that power will enable you to accomplish God's purpose in your life. So how do you get God's power? What's the first thing? Starts with an A. You admit your weakness. What's the next thing? You ask, and then the third A is act. You act in faith, because faith always expresses itself in action. I mean, think about how this works. You, you've got to admit that you're weak, you've got to ask for God's power, and then you have to do something. You have to act in faith. Now, here's another way of thinking about it. In order to get God's power, you've got to act like you've got the power before you have the power in order to get the power. Did you catch that? Okay, let me say that again. You have to act like you've got the power before you have the power in order to get the power. Let me make this really practical. Um, let's say that you're a guy, and um, you're married, you've got um, three small children, and you're coming to this conclusion, you know, I just really need God's power in my life in a lot of different ways. And you're coming to the point of really believing that there's power in God's word and there's power in prayer. And so you've decided that you're going to have this habit in your life of getting up in the morning and you're going to talk to God and read his word because you need his power. And so on this particular morning, you get up and you're reading in the book of Isaiah. And this is what you read. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak, and you go, man, that is good news, because I really need God's power in my life. And then you keep reading. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And you think, man, God, I am so thankful. I really, really need your power in my life. And so this young man um, takes the advice of his pastor, and he writes these verses on a note card, and he puts them on the dashboard of his car so he can see them and think about them. And on a Friday afternoon, he's leaving work, and it's been a really, really tough day. His boss yelled at him. Um, his coworkers are just in conflict, and he actually had a flat tire on the way home. And he gets back in the car and he sees that verse from Isaiah on the dashboard and he thinks to himself, you know what? I, I don't know, God. I mean, I know what's going to happen when I get home. I'm going to walk through the door and there's going to be these three little people that want to play with me right away. And there's one big people, my wife, and she's going to want to talk to me about her day. And you know what, God? I just don't have the strength for that. I don't. What I want to do is just, you know, get through the door and just dive into my lazy boy and have everybody leave me alone. But you say that if I will admit my weakness, and I'm admitting it, um, and if I'll ask for your strength, and if I'll act in faith that you'll give me your power. So believing this, the guy gets home, you know, pulls up in the driveway, gets out of the car, opens the front door, and he smiles and says, hey, honey, how was your day? And he looks at his kids and goes, okay, it's time to play hop on pop. And in that moment, he experiences the power of God. Because to experience God's power, what do we have to do? We have to admit our weakness. We have to ask God for his power. But then we have to step out and act in faith. 
And so church, that brings me to this question. What does our church need to do that requires the power of God? What does our church need to do that requires the power of God? And I have an answer for that. It's really short. It's one word. Everything. Because everything that God calls us to do requires God's power. God says, hey, I want you to love each other the way I love you. Does that take power? Man, you bet it does. God says, I want you to forgive each other. Okay, God, um, you're going to have to help us with that because we need your power to forgive. I want you to protect and preserve the peace and unity of my church. We need God's power to do that. In fact, when you think about it, if we're going to love each other and forgive each other and be unified, that's what's necessary for us to carry out our mission in the world. Isn't that true? And I was thinking about this. Um, this is a verse. You might want to write it down because it's so pivotal to what we're talking about. Romans 1, 16. And in that verse, the Apostle Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that word salvation could be translated the complete rescue of everyone who believes. And listen, church, in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity, we must never be ashamed of the gospel. We must never compromise the gospel. We have to communicate the gospel because it is the power of God for the complete rescue of everyone who believes, including you and me. Now, Let's personalize this. Where do you need God's power in your life today? Where do you need the power of God in your life today? You know, some of you may be thinking about that and thinking, well, you know, there is this persistent temptation in my life, and I just keep stumbling over and over again. I need God's power to have victory. Some of you may be struggling with an addiction this morning, and you need God's power to set you free. Maybe it's... Uh, a situation where your marriage is, is struggling or broken and you need God's power to heal your heart. You need God's power to forgive. Or maybe it's this, that you need God's power to love the people that he's placed in your life the way that he has loved you. Before we go in and we start rehearsing the power of love, the song, with the power... Can we pray together this morning? Father, we're so thankful for the incredible power of your love. We're so thankful, Lord, for a power that creates spiritual life in us so that we can believe you and trust you and follow Jesus. Father, we're thankful for this power that, that changes us, that transforms our hearts. And God, today there are so many reasons we need your power. God, I pray this morning um, for those who are just really tired tired physically and emotionally and spiritually, that, Lord, during this time, and even in the song that we'll sing in a few moments, that you would pour your power, your strength, your hope into their hearts. And God, for those of us who are really struggling to forgive, give us the power to do that. Lord, some of us are, are trying to love people, and it's just so hard, God. You know that. Give us your power to love like you do. Lord, some of us are struggling with addictions or we love people who are. God, we pray that you would pour out your power. God, we know there are people that are feeling hopeless in this world. Would you please give them hope because of your power? And God, as a church, we pray that we will never, ever compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we know, God, we believe that it is your power for the complete rescue of everyone who believes. And God, it could be that right here, right now, 
there's somebody you want to rescue. And Lord, I pray that as someone this morning has never trusted Jesus, but they're feeling your pull on their heart that, that as they sit here right now, they would just turn their thoughts to you and, and say to you, God, not out loud, but just in their own way, God, I need you. I believe. I believe what you say is true. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And God, I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins and that he came back to life to give me a new life. And boy, do I need one. So God, today, I just want to tell you I'm sorry for my sins and I want to follow your son, Jesus. And Father, you always, always rescue us. You keep your promise to give us life. And God, I pray for us as a church that, that you'll give us incredible strength, God, to, to broaden our influence in this community and, and in this nation and even around the world. Because your heart, God, is to use your power for your purpose. And we are so thankful and so privileged to be a part of your family. And so, God, as we close this service, with one voice, we want to declare this truth, that Jesus Christ, you are stronger, stronger than our doubt, stronger than our fear, stronger than our anxiety and our addictions and our failure. You, Jesus Christ, are our strong king. And we pray in your name. Amen. Church, can we stand and sing this song called Stronger? <laughs>